to welcome you this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving and first Sunday of Advent, that, uh, that, that season that the church has been celebrating now for close to 1,700 years or so, that uh, helps to prepare us so that, that Christmas, so that Christmas Day will have the significance that it's uh, supposed to have in, in our lives. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we will be journeying with uh, three different um, people in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Three different people who are given um, main songs to sing as preparation for the birth of Jesus, as response to the celebration of God becoming uh, a man and, and dwelling with us. Um, we'll, we'll look at uh, Zechariah today, next week look at Mary, and then after that Simeon and Anna, and, and how they are brought to a place to be in tune with God so that the very song on their heart is the song of God. And, and that's what uh, our desire is during the Advent season so that when Christmas Day comes, we are prepared and ready to sing a song of joy to our Creator and, and to our Savior. Not the usual song of relief. It totally depends on the inflection. You know, thank God it's Christmas. Or thank God it's Christmas. We want the former, not the latter. And what we'll see today in our passage are the, the difference between a thick place and a thin place. Something that uh, throughout the, the, the church... Um, throughout the ages, uh, the, the church has called us to places that are thin. You know, thick places can be good if you want to be insulated. You know, you, you want there to be some thickness between you and between the outside when it's really cold or, or really hot. You want some thickness. You, you, you want to be insensitive. You don't want to know what's going on. On the other side of the wall. That's good when it's thick. It's bad when it's a thick place between us and God. And what we'll see in this passage is how Zechariah was in a thick place, but then was led to a thin place. Thin places are good between us and God. It's in a, a thin place that, that we, or it's just a, a veil, the biblical language, between us and what God is doing, what's on the other side. We can, we can see an outline, or as Paul says, you know, we see in a mirror darkly. We can, we can hear the noise on the other side. We can even put our hand on the thin place and, and feel what's happening on the other side and, and respond to what God is doing in our midst. And that's what Advent is to develop for us, a thin place between us and God so that we are so in tune with what God is doing that we can see it and hear it and, and feel it and respond with a song of joy. Our passage this morning then is Luke chapter 1 and uh, Zechariah's story as he is prepared for his song to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. 
thank you for your continued, incessant pursuit of us. That, that you are never swayed from fulfilling your promises and purpose of bringing salvation to your creation. And we, we pray during this season of Advent, we, as we pray this morning, as we hear your word, that you will continue to work in us. You will prepare us and lead us so that the, the song you have placed in our heart, we are ready to sing. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 5 through verse 25, the, the, the story of uh, Zechariah. Hear the word of the Lord. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when He looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
All right, let's just walk through this. Let's just imagine we're walking with Zechariah in this event. Um, Zechariah is a priest. He's a professional, um, uh, professional uh, 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 religious person, professional preacher. He, uh, and, and, and in Zechariah's day, the, the priests sort of, sort of serve like the National Guard does. You know, some would stay at home, work in the farms, and then every so often they'd be called into the temple. And it just so happens, Zechariah now, his number is up. I mean, this is one of the days that you'd be waiting for as a priest, that you get to go into the temple. And, and you, you, you go into the, the, the temple, I mean, you, this is like a promotion. You know, you, you get the letter that you've been accepted into the college. You, you get the, with financial benefits even. You've made the team. You, you get the, one of the main roles in the musical. So th- this is Zechariah's time. And it's, it's a very serious time, as you see in verse 10, because all are gathered outside the temple to pray. And your family, your friends, and all that are there seeking God's presence. Remember, Old Testament understanding and the, the reality of God's work in the Old Testament days that in the temple is where He dwelled. And so Zechariah was going to get to go into, burn the incense in the place where God dwelled. And when he shows up, verse 11... At the altar, right there where God was to dwell, an angel appears. And God speaks to Zechariah through the angel, later to find out Gabriel, speaks to him in a very clear and a precise way. And Zechariah responds as as any professional priest would would respond with joy and excitement. Wow, this is fantastic. No, he didn't. He responded like almost everybody responds in the biblical story when an angel shows up with fear, trepidation. It's the most common word of an angel. Do not be afraid. I think it speaks just to how easy it is for us to get wrapped up in the mundane and when God manifests Himself in such a plain way, we are surprised instead of excited. And that's what happens with Zechariah. Now, it doesn't surprise God that Zechariah would respond that way. It doesn't stop God that his initial act is sort of this surprise and this fear. For Gabriel continues. He carries out what his, his assignment. And he tells Zechariah the good news. Verse 13. Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. I mean, what you've been crying for, you and Elizabeth have been crying for, here it is, it's right here, it's for you. And this baby will not just be any baby, but will be one who will bring about the spiritual renewal of my people. Now you can't drink wine and alcohol, but you can't have it all. You're going to have to be satisfied with the Holy Spirit in him, in his womb. 
In verse 16, He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, verse 17, He will go before Him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He will begin the greatest revival and spiritual renewal in the history of all creation. I mean, many people will be turning to God because of Him. Families are going to be made whole and the broken will be made well. And so now Zechariah celebrates. You would think he would have. Like you, you saw yesterday, if you watched uh, half the football games going on, seemed like half of them were won by a field goal, either missed or made in the last second. And the celebration that ensued for just winning a simple game was grand. Certainly Zechariah's celebration would be even greater for such an eternally significant event to come upon him and in his own child. But no, Zechariah missed it. He missed it. Here was God and an angel right in front of him about to begin to start, to light the, the, the fuse of the explosion of the incarnation that is about to bring the greatest revival in all of creation. I mean, the revival that's been in the mind and heart of God since the beginning of time. I wonder why. How is Zechariah in such a thick place? How is there so much space between him and between what God was doing to where God was right in front of him and he was just missing it? And it become just a job? You know, is it just a, a routine? It was sort of like, hey, Gabriel, will you mind getting out of the way? I got to light this next incense. Yeah, it had become just a, a, a something that he needed to be completed. It had become routine for him. I wonder. What had happened that he had lost his sense of expectation of the power of the Creator and, and, and how had his imagination become so thick and dulled? As Annie Dillard says, Zechariah was a leader on a cheerful, brainless, packaged tour of the absolute. How was it that Zechariah, I mean, had Zechariah not read Isaiah 6 lately? When Isaiah went into the temple and the place was smoking, not because something was on fire, but because the very fire of the universe was present and the pillars were shaking. And Isaiah fell on his face before God. I wonder what had happened with Zechariah. Maybe it was just that he didn't see himself as a real player in the game. He was just burning incense. You know, he wasn't doing anything with the lamb and the sheep. He wasn't really getting to, to pour the blood out on the altar. He was just playing a bit part, maybe even a bench warmer on the side. In verse 18, we're given a little more insight. 
in verse 18, we see that the issue with Zechariah is that he is focused on himself. You don't see it as much in the English, but the, the first word in the, the, in, in the Greek is I. And you don't even have to use I. You don't have to put the word. It, it can be included in the verb. But Luke wants to make it clear. Zechariah's first word, after the angel has given this great promise to him, I'm going to know this how. I don't know what else he wanted besides an angel in front of him in the temple of the Lord. But that's what he wanted. I'm going to know this how. And, and you know, I'm old. And my wife is old too. Somehow, Zechariah had become thickened by being focused on himself and totally unaware of what God was doing in his midst. And so Gabriel, and the good news here, how patient Gabriel is, he continues to carry out God's plan through Zechariah, warts and all. Sin and all, thickness and all, Zechariah, as we'll see, will help, or Gabriel will help Zechariah find a thin place. And Gabriel's response is right back to Zechariah with the same eye. Zechariah, this doesn't really matter who you are. It matters who I am and who I represent. For I am Gabriel. I'm the one that stands in the very presence of Yahweh. And I'm the one who's been sent to you with a message from your Creator. Of the salvation of the world. You get a sense here of Jesus' wisdom when he tells us later on, if you want to, to find your life, you've got to lose it. For if you try to gain your life, then you will lose it. Zechariah focused on himself and Gabriel turns his gaze back to God. The point of all this is that Zechariah, if anyone should have been ready to hear from God, it should have been Zechariah. But instead, he was in a thick place, calloused somehow, insensitive somehow, separated from the realities of God's promises, this good news of the renewal and revival that was upon him. That was brought forth to me. You know, this might be one of those sermons that happens about every six weeks that are really for me and y'all just get to come along for the ride because it was just two weeks ago that we were up here and it was a beautiful expression of God's faithfulness God's beauty God's continued work of renewal as we had nine people up here who were new members who who, just in a picture and who are I think they're in the hot off the press um uh this uh today and they're just a beautiful picture of a church without walls founded in jesus i mean people of great diversity who are centered and rooted in christ a church without walls but a strong foundation right here and one of them 
One of them shared with us that she had not been participant in church growing up. That this was the first church she'd ever attended and ever joined. Came into the building because she was a part of a support group. Somebody who's in church invited her, hey, well, come on, be a part of my small group. Come be a part of the worship service. And, and Alicia did. And here she met Jesus. And two Sundays ago, she was baptized. And she, she stood up here with the, the waters of baptism streaming down her face, smiling, and those that were gathered stood and applauded. And I almost missed it. I almost put my hand on her because, hey, we got other things to do. It's running a little late. And a lot of stuff, you know, nine people and everything else going on. And in that moment, it was as if I heard, no, stop. And I just looked at Alicia's face. Smile from ear to ear. And for a moment, I was in a thin place. And I heard the angels having a party. I heard the angels celebrating. As if to say, this is the reason for this day. For one who was lost has been found. You know, and it doesn't take such an event to be such a thin place. For, for with us, we don't have to go to the temple any longer. I mean, we, we, are, we know that the Spirit of God dwells in us, among us. Burning bushes like Moses saw are on every corner. We just recognize the thin places. So those uh, thin places or the, the, the places. The, the best illustration to me is when, which fits really well for Advent, is when a woman is nine months pregnant. And the baby is alive within her. And you can see what's going on. You you can see an elbow. You can see a knee. You can see a foot. You you can put your hand on her, her skin. And you can feel the baby moving inside. That's a thin place. And that's what Advent is designed for us to do. To give us a thin place. Do you see then how Gabriel then gave Zechariah a thin place? Zechariah, you're thick in the soul, so we need to thin you out. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it where you can't say a thing for nine months. You can see, you can hear, you can read, you can study. You can participate, you can serve, but you're not going to be able to say a thing for nine months. Everything's just going to be going in. 
nothing going out. Now, don't you think, can you imagine? Imagine, how do you think Zechariah used that nine months? How would you have used it? If you'd seen an angel, and an angel had a message to you, and that message that the angel gave you did not respond to, shall we say, in a thin way, and the angel then said, I'm going to give you nine. Don't you think Zechariah would have used that baby to be combing through? He'd be reading and studying like never before. His tithe would have been current. And he would have sent everybody he knew a birthday card a week ahead of time. Nine months of silence, an extreme measure. But that's what enabled Zechariah to file away the calluses. To make the thick places thin ones. To renew his imagination and his expectation. To deepen his faith. To refocus himself off of himself and onto the love, joy, and power of the creator of the universe. And to give himself fully to God's plan. It's a couple weeks ago that Cindy Carlson shared with me a similar experience. How in a way... God brought her into a thin place to refocus herself on God's love and joy and wonder. And I just asked Cindy to come share that um, with us of uh, another simple way God's at work in our midst. Good morning, everybody. This is um, a short story about how God took me from a thicker place to a thin place. And as the Duke family said, this morning, earlier in the service, God lights the way where we don't know when we don't know where to go. And I'd like to share a story of how he did that for me. I am a teacher by training, and I retired four years ago. For the past three years, I've worked as an elementary tutor. And in August this year, everything changed. I sent out resumes, I interviewed for jobs, but I didn't get an offer. And toward the end of the last school year, I started to feel that tutoring wasn't fun anymore. Even though God had given me a new confidence in my teaching ability during the past three years that I tutored, my interest seemed to be declining. Following foot surgery this summer, I started telling God that I wanted to trust him more. And it had to be a real and true trust, one where I'd have to put myself on the line and not just say that I trusted him, but actually do something to show that I was willing to grow in trust. I pushed to apply for jobs for the fall, all the while secretly hoping I wouldn't get one. I fully believed that I could get a job in education because I had been a teacher for 30 years and I also have my license to teach English as a second language. I was praying that God would clearly open and close doors because I didn't know what he wanted me to do. I knew that if I didn't get a job here in Cincinnati, Teaching in China would be a possibility. And when it became clear that despite my push to locate a job here, no doors were opening, I realized God had something in mind for me that I couldn't see yet. Uh, One night in September, when I attended our weekly Friday night Bible study with Chinese students and scholars from UC, I met a Chinese professor who's the dean of the English department at a university in Xi'an. It's the city in China with the ancient terracotta warriors. He made a verbal offer for me to teach at his school, yet he seemed to indicate that he didn't think his school could provide the best situation for me. He said, take your best offer. 
He also said he would put me in touch with a minority nationality school in northwest China that also needed an English teacher. In the meantime, I had contacted a Chinese student of mine who works at a finance university in Shanghai. He responded that his university wanted to offer me a contract to teach English for the spring semester beginning in March, and I was in a dilemma. God was opening doors, but I didn't know which one to walk through. I asked people to pray about the decision. I made my pro and con list, and it seemed like the Shanghai offer was taking off and getting more set in stone. But as I thought of Shanghai, I saw the negatives: the crowds of people, the hectic traffic jams, the pollution, the noise, the hot summer weather. And on the other hand, I longed for the beauty of the ancient buildings in Xi'an. I was remembering the quiet side streets, the beautiful rolling countryside that was there in Xi'an. And then on the Sunday morning, when Drew preached his message on hit bottom and look up, God dealt with my heart that morning during that service.、Uh, when Drew was face down up here on the chancel, I saw myself in a similar place、um, at the mercy of God. Drew said, "God can never act except out of His love, and when we finally hit bottom, we can only look up." A humble and, in my case, finally open heart is what God wants. And the word I got in my heart that morning was, "Cindy, give it up, let go, accept what I'm giving you. You want to learn to trust me? Going to Shanghai is what I want you to do." And the sense of surrender to this thing that God had squarely put in front of me was really wonderful. And it feels so great to practice faith, to not hold back and seek a safe or seemingly secure road, but to gladly receive a choice that God has given me out of His love. I'm very excited to be going to Shanghai, and following His path, and being at the mercy of God's love is a very good place to be. Thank you for letting me share my story. Thanks, Cindy. I wonder. Well, this is good news because Zechariah, in his silence, finds a thin place. And if you just turn the page, it's at the birth John the Baptist. Nine months later, when finally Zechariah is able to speak, and he speaks the words that the angel had told him. His name is John, and then he sings a song. Sings a song, celebrating the promises of God. I'm sure those nine months he was filled and covered and just saturated in the promises of God, and the joy and the power and the beauty and the goodness. And when he was finally able to speak, it just poured out. That's good news. For if you find yourself relating well. As a priest in front of an angel, or, or a, a pastor almost passing the parties of angels, you're in good place. Because God doesn't give up on us; He continues to do what is needed in our lives to make our thick places thin, to reignite our imagination, to deepen our faith. To open the eyes of our soul to what He is doing, we simply receive. We hit bottom, we look up, we let go, and we receive the joy 
of this season. I pray for you and pray for us this Advent season will indeed be one where we are finding a thin place. you got a lot of stuff that are possibilities to help you do that. Whether it's Advent devotions, Advent wreaths, the children's ministry doing Jesse trees. They have family devotions for you. The, the, the crash, the youth group are having family gatherings in order just to, to, to focus for a moment, to eat together and focus for a moment, trying to find a thin place. Where is it for you? Where is it for you that the, a thick place needs to be made thin? Where, where is it that you need to take a little responsibility for your own spiritual life this Christmas and say no to some things and yes to one or two that will file away those calluses and renew and deepen a faith and an excitement to participate, to see and hear, even feel the heavenly parties. And if Zechariah isn't one that you're related to, then come back next week. For Mary, maybe she's the one that better parallels your story. Or the week after, with Simeon and Anna, as we see thick places made thin and joining into the song of God for Christmas. Amen.